Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm honored to have been asked to participate in uh, this Abraham series from the book of Genesis. So thank you um, for allowing me to share with you this morning. I want to begin by talking about a strange psychological phenomenon that happens to me. And I'm hoping that it's one that happens to you. If not, just pretend, because I feel really awkward if this has never happened to you. It's those situations in life where you're in some sort of scenario, you're in some sort of scene, and all of a sudden you get that weird feeling like you've been there before, even though you haven't. Or you're in the middle of a conversation and you have this weird feeling of like you know what they're about to say, but there's no way you would know what they're about to say, but you do. Does this happen to you? Good. Thank you. Does anyone know what this phenomenon's called? Deja vu. That's right. Deja vu. It's the experience of feeling like you've experienced a new situation sometime in your past, but you can't quite put your finger on when it happened. And this, this sensation of deja vu is accompanied by a sense of strangeness, a, strength, a sense of, of creepiness, because you're not quite sure why you know this is about to happen. Now, I don't know how often you get deja vu. I've gotten it frequently. I've even gotten it in time to say to myself, I know what this person's about to say, and then they say it, and I'm like, yes! I am a prophet. And get this, this is true. I once had deja vu of me having deja vu. It was wild, man. It's like a, entering into the fifth dimension. Well, as you can imagine, uh, there are a lot of theories to explain why we have deja vu. One is simply that it's sort of an anomaly of the brain, that there's sort of a, a mixing of signals from present memory and past memory, and the brain just gets confused for a second. There's actually a newer theory that says it has to do with your vision, and that is that your one eye sends the message to your brain a millisecond faster than the other eye, so your brain gets this, the picture of this scene two different times and thinks it's seeing the same scene twice. How's that? I can't really verify there's any truth in that, but that's one of the theories. Uh, but most people, when they have deja vu, they don't go in that direction. In my experience, most people say, I must have dreamed it. I must have dreamed this. So you have sort of these precognitive dreams. That's a third explanation. But I'd like to offer a fourth one. A while back, I was standing in my kitchen talking to my wife, and she was giving me a talk about how to load the dishwasher. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you have deja vu, but I have this unbelievable compulsion that I have to tell that I'm having deja vu. I don't know if that happens to you, but I have to tell people when I'm having it. So in the middle of this um, discussion, I blurt out, oh, I just totally had deja vu. And my wife says, you're not having deja vu. I've told you this before. <laughs> oh, oh, that would explain it. That explains the feeling having heard this before. As we read today from Genesis chapter 20, you could very well experience a sensation of deja vu. But the deja vu you are about to experience is not some psychological trick. It has nothing to do with your vision. And it's not because you've dreamed it. The deja vu you are about to experience will occur because what we are about to read has happened before. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 20. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to pull one of those out. Follow along with us from Genesis chapter 20. 
We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead, because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech, who had not gone near her, said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did Abraham not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my mother, or daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander, From my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you'd like. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girl, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Back in Genesis 12, Abraham tried this trick before. And if you've been with us during this series, you should be having deja vu right now. You should be saying, I heard this before. Because you have. Back in Genesis 12, Abraham, right not long after he was called by God out of um, his land to follow Jehovah, he ends up down in Egypt and he comes up with this plan and he says, I'm going to say that you're my wife. I mean, my, my sister, not my wife. And it doesn't go well. It does not go well. And Pastor John, when he, when he talked about this, encouraged us, though, not to be too hard on Abraham. Abraham was just being called out He was just learning who God was. We're not even sure he totally understood the supremacy of Jehovah. It was early on, and even though what he did was a sin, we had to be careful to be too disappointed in the then Abram over his actions. 
He was new at this, after all. Unfortunately, those explanations that worked well for us in Genesis 12 cannot work for us here in Genesis 20. Abraham has come a long way since Genesis 12. He's entered a covenant with God. He's received promises from God. He's had promises fulfilled from God. He's met with God. He's seen God, interacted. Most recently, he argues with God and and works with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, even calling God the judge of the whole earth. Abraham has learned a lot, which makes this deja vu experience, this sin of lying again about his identity of his wife, all the more baffling. Hasn't he gone for 20 or 30 or 40 years with God? Why is he sinning in the same way again? Well, we certainly cannot sit back and scold Abraham too much for sinning again, since most of us sin again too. And we often sin in ways we've already sinned in the past. I'm kind of convinced that I did my last original sin when I was 15. And ever since then, I've just been repackaging sins in a new way. But it's the same old sins. And many of you probably have something in your life that you're saying, that's the same old sin again. And so we have this experience that Abraham has of sinning again. And I want to talk a little bit today about why is it that we sin in the same ways again? The Bible's, Bible says that God's mercies are new every day. But I'm pretty sure that our sins are not. Because we seem to keep coming back to the same ones. Even if they didn't work out so, bad, like, oh, so well the last time. I want to draw a few suggestions on why we sin again based on Abraham's excuses that he gives for his sin. Or maybe we should call them explanations. Maybe excuses is judgmental. His explanations for his sin that he gives in verses 11 through 15. The first reason I think that we sin again is because we approach sin, we approach situations in fear. We approach situations as cowards. Notice that Abraham says... In verse 11, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. He approaches this whole situation with a cowardly spirit. He approaches the situation out of fear. He is afraid, get this, he's afraid that doing right will be a worse choice than doing wrong. He fears doing the right. He fears doing wrong. What is good? He has this logic. He says, you know, these people, they're godless. They're pagan. And since I'm going into a pagan land, I'm going to act as they do. It's like that phrase, when in Rome, what? You do as the Romans do. Now, there was no Rome yet. But eventually that comes to be the phrase. When you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. Abraham says, well, they're they're godless people. Therefore, I must act godless. Because if I don't act godless... Who knows what would happen if I act righteous in front of all these godless people? And so he's fearful of righteousness. He's fearful to do what is right. But the problem is that his logic is all wrong. In fact, Abimelech seems to be relatively open to the voice of God. God speaks to him. Abimelech listens. You see, Abraham went in and said, these people, they have no recognition of God whatsoever, so I can't be godly in front of them. And yet, it's Abimelech who hears the voice of God. 
It's Abimelech who responds to God. It's Abimelech who calls the prophet of God to cask and says, prophet of God, why have you done this? It is indeed Abimelech who seems to be more cognizant of God than even Abraham, which is a little ironic because Abimelech seems to be in the very place that Abraham once was. Remember, it was once Abraham who didn't know Jehovah, but had some softness in his spirit to the call of God. And so when this God Jehovah called him, Abraham responded, left his land, and took on the promise of being a great nation. And yet this softness that Abraham Abraham once knew of himself, he does not attribute that to anyone else. And what he has done is his fear has caused him to miss the opportunity to bring God to Abimelech. You see, we are not spiritually neutral people. You, as Christians in particular, you either bring God to people or you hide God from people. You can't just be neutral because you carry Christ in you. And so Abraham made a conscious decision, I am not going to carry God into this situation. Now, fortunately, God did as God often does, and that is he went around Abraham and showed himself to him like anyway. But Abraham missed the opportunity to be the one who brought God to Abimelech. Matter of fact, it ends up being Abraham who has to defend himself. And his first excuse is one that we fear, that he feared being righteous. And so often do we also commit sins again and again because we fear being righteous. We fear doing what is right. And it's partly because we have this mindset that if we do right in this situation, it will not be responded well to. But that logic may be very faulty, especially if there's someone in that context who is soft and open to the speech of God in their lives. Abraham could have been the vehicle of God, and God actually had to work around his own prophet to come into Abimelech's life because of Abraham's fear. So one reason that that we sin again and again, is that we fear doing what is right. But Abraham offers a second excuse. This is it. Besides, she really is my sister. Now, I just want to tell you, if you're ever trying to explain your actions and the word technically comes up, No, you're going down a bad path. Now, I know Abraham here doesn't use the word technically, but if he lived in our day and age, what he would have said right there is, well, technically, she is my sister. And we try this, right? I'm a teacher. I get technically all the time. Technically, Mr. Bino, I did my homework. I just didn't bring it. We do it with our spouses. Technically, honey, I was on time, just not Eastern Standard Time. See, we throw this technically in because we want to try to justify our sin with a technicality. Is there any way that I can technically make this sin not a sin? Can I figure this out? Maybe if I use the word technically. We see Abraham going down the road of lame excuses. It is true. Sarah was his half-sister. But he even goes on to admit, and then she was my wife. Well, then she's still your wife which in no way justifies what he did. 
Abraham is acting as a fool. Sometimes we repeat sins again and again because we are cowards. Sometimes we repeat sins again and again because we're fools. And I want to define fool for you based on how the book of Proverbs portrays a fool. Here's a fool from the book of Proverbs. It's someone who does not follow the created moral order of God, but thinks he can still be successful. 